0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with yet another Tim May podcast, an aptly named podcast. Isn't that correct, Awesome? I think it's the
1: most accurate, accurate name
0: of any podcast that has ever existed. No, we ought to just we ought to just uh, record that aspect of it because uh, Spence, <laughs> or as I call him, Suspense, uh, said the same thing last week, and he was quoting you. So uh, we could just dispense with all the suspense and just move right on into the podcast from now on. Well, but, uh, he, I
1: mean, and he is a superstar now. I don't. I'm. I'm lucky to even be back on this show.
0: No, he's. You know. You know. You know. He deserves his props just like everybody else, right? I Me mean, works Absolutely. his rear end off, and he knows what he's talking about. That's the the two main. Uh, The two main things, two main requirements when you're on a podcast, in my opinion, or any other cast, as it goes. But, uh, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward. I call him awesome because I got tired of calling him the other things I was calling him. Boston. Some people got tired of that. I just (laughs) need a new nickname every year. You know, just keep it fresh. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, Real quick, I've got a special guest on this week. We'll just jump right into it after that long delay from the beginning to right now. Uh, we 'll jump right into it. Uh, my guest this week is James Laurinaitis, <laughs> former three time all american linebacker, ohio State, a Butkus award winner uh, et cetera long time NFL star until suddenly you know an injury uh basically knocked him out of the nFL and you know what I want to discuss with with him and you'll you'll hear it in this uh, recording we did is number one you know that was he was on a team. In uh, 2006, got beat 41 to 14 by Florida. Got bushwhacked in the national championship game. Came back, and lo and behold, was in the national championship game the next year against LSU. They got beat again, but not as not as badly. But the point was, what I want to get into him with was, you know, that little interim between six and seven. How you dealt with that as a team, you know, basically not embarrassed. Because I think when you get the national championship team, you're pretty good. You're a pretty good game. You're a pretty good team. You have all reason to hold your head high. But, you know, that night you just didn't have it, and the other team did. And and uh, so I wanted, got into that with talking with him about those kind of things, about his NFL career. I was not necessarily cut short, but all NFL careers come to an end sooner or later. We talked about that. And we talked about Ohio State and the linebacker play and everything else from that. But, you know, we'll come back from from that uh Conversation I had with him, and you and I will talk about this upcoming 2021 Ohio State team and how some key returnees, which we've talked about over the last several weeks, but these key returnees could vault it maybe not into the Alabama range of last year because I think that was an aberration team, as I keep calling it, uh, where you had these key ingredients come back and form a super team on offense, not necessarily on defense, but how Ohio State could possibly. Be in the realm of that kind of thinking. I think you agree with me a little bit, right? I do. I can't wait to get into it. Okay. But uh, you know what? We'll be back to talk about that and a, and a few more things, ladies and gentlemen, after this conversation I had with James Laurinaitis. And ladies and gentlemen, as promised, uh, here's a, a special guest star for this week. Uh, you may know him from uh, fame as an Ohio State Buckeye or fame as a St. Louis Ram or Maybe fading glory as a New Orleans Saint, if you're tuning in from New Orleans. But uh, James Laurinaitis, welcome finally to the Tim May podcast. It's great to be on with you, buddy. Hey, uh, man, I wanted to, you know, you're one of those guys that uh, was from those mid-2000 teams at Ohio State that were, man, were right there, you know, right there. And uh, couldn't quite grasp that brass ring at the end. But I wanted to, the reason I wanted to bring you on and talk to you about this is that, uh, When I was on you and Bo Bishop's show uh, one time, y'all were, we were talking about that, about how do you bounce back, you know, from what happened to Ohio state in that national championship game against Alabama, you guys had a similar fate against Florida in 2006. Y'all were number one in the country, just won the game of the century (laughs) over Michigan. And then boom, boom, bang, you know, uh, Ted Ginn jr. Scores a touchdown on the first play of the game, hurts his ankle against Florida. Next thing you know, it's 41 to 14. What, what advice, I guess, what did you learn from bouncing back from that to the next year? Because y'all played for the national championship again. Not that it was a fairy tale ending, still lost to LSU, but it was a much more competitive game, let's put it that way. But what did you learn? What did you guys learn about yourselves in that interim between 2006 and 2007 that you think will help this team?
2: Well, first off, it humbled us. Um, you're put on a pedestal at Ohio State anyway. So I get there in 05 and lost a really close game to Texas, uh, lost a really close game at Penn State. I still think that's the most talented team I may have been on, and you have two losses, but you end the year on a high note, and you yeah. beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. A lot of guys coming back on offense, not much known on defense, and then you start winning and winning and winning. You're ranked, you know, that one versus two win down in Texas in 06, and you're put on this pedestal game of the century. Everything focused around that year. You know, I don't remember much about hearing a lot about Florida at all. I remember a lot of attention so much was on us in Michigan that year. Yeah. That when we went down there, you really felt, all right, we're just going to go take care of business. I really felt anytime I went into a football game with Troy Smith as my quarterback, we weren't going to lose. Just wasn't even, and I, it wasn't even in my mind that we could lose with him at QB and the way we were playing. Um, Teddy gets hurt and it was more than Teddy getting hurt. That obviously was a huge chunk of our speed on offense, but they, they whooped us uh, up front. They spread us out on defense. Um, Percy Harvin and the quick, the RPO stuff that was way ahead of where we are now. Right. Uh, yeah. It was one of those games that just, it was humbling to, to watch. You wish a game could have caught you off guard earlier in the year with the team to get you ready for something like that. There was a lot of things we had to coach up and it, it motivated you, you know, to come back the next year and to try to, to get back there. And it was weird about 2017. We never really thought, national title we thought let's just go it was really one of those years where let's try to win the Big Ten right and then we'll see kind of what happens because of that and getting upset by Illinois at home you're like oh gosh well that, that ends that was really like one and done right with the PCS you weren't you weren't losing and getting in some playoff you were if you lost yeah. you felt like you were out of it and then chaos ensued with Pitt and West Virginia and Missouri and Oklahoma and some stuff that happened and it was just a the whole offseason leading in those seven was just humbling of like, holy smokes, we have to improve. Like, we thought we were the number one team in the country all year long. Just like this team, I'm sure, thought that they were – I mean, when you ran through teams in the Big Ten, you thought you were that school and that team all year long. To get beat on a stage like that kind of helps you take an assessment of yourself and be like, all right, where do I have to improve personally? Look in the mirror and try to get better to hopefully avoid that a second time.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting, though, is I'm thinking back to that Florida game and this is, you know, this is now uh, 14 years removed from it, but it kind of reminded me of the Alabama game is y'all di- didn't really know what to do with Florida. I'm talking about in the secondary. And uh, and you may disagree with me, but I'm just looking at it. I'm, I, it kind of reminded me of the same thing that happened with Alabama. You know, and there was a lot of like, you know, I thought Ohio State number one against Alabama was going to step up and try to bring pressure right up the gap. You know, when you lose Tommy I that was a big, huge. Line. You had to pluck one guy out of that defensive lineup that changed the dynamic of the lineup, of the approach. It was Tommy Tokiak but I thought they would get after it up the middle on Mac Jones, then get up and press the receivers. And it was the opposite of that from the standpoint of what they did with the receivers. And there was a lot of, you know, Devontae Smith doing this, cutting there and wide open, you know, because the, you know, whatever cornerback was on him at the time was sort of standing there trying to play catch. You can't play catch with fastballs like that. You know, you gotta, gotta, and and it kind of reminded me that, but but what I'm getting to here is that's where the uh, saying came that, you know, the SEC was so far ahead of the uh, Big Ten in terms of speed. If you remember coming out of that 2006 national championship game, and I didn't think that was accurate. It was just the way y'all approached it that put this stigma, you know, on the Big Ten. Now, there was, yeah, there was some speed differential, but did you see sort of a similar thing with the Alabama? Uh, And the reason I'm asking that is I think Alabama was almost a once in a 10 year kind of team offensively on uh, on that uh, this past season. Number two, I've been following Alabama football since I was six years old, which means 60 years. Best offense I ever saw from Alabama. Do you really revamp everything based on going against that one offense that one night? You follow my drift?
2: Yeah, I don't think they need to revamp everything. I think Ohio State's set up to win national championships. I think you're right. I think they hit a buzzsaw of a team that is one of the best uh, maybe in the history of college football, right up there with LSU a year ago. All the numbers say they're the same. Devontae Smith was incredible. The feelings are the same in the sense that you felt like whenever you finally did get Alabama into a situation like, oh, yes, we finally have them covered. Mac Jones scrambled for eight yards and he needed seven, right? And it was just like, son of a gun any little thing. And it kind of felt that way against Florida. You felt like you finally stopped the run and then they hit you with a bubble to Percy and he's running for it. And you're like, my goodness, we can't get out of this. Right. So you're in that kind of feeling of whatever I'm calling isn't working. (laughs) And then, and whatever we're playing, isn't working. Um, and that's a bad feeling amid, you know, the middle of a football game, especially when your offense isn't just rolling themselves. You feel like, gosh, if we let up another players feel that, uh, but I think this team is much better suited for winning a national title because there's just a lot more speed across the board, Tim. Like we were fine at the position. Like we were fine with Teddy and we were fine at corner. If y'all run forties, it wasn't that, it was the fact that their D ends their D tackles in 06 were so much more athletic than our offensive line. And yes. it's ever since urban came here, he really changed that. Like, our tackles, from looking at the tackles that I played with without naming names, and then looking at Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, what his body type looks like, or a Thayer Mumford, or you just say, well, that looks different. They're both big, but they just look different. And, and Mickey Marotti and the way he's developed them, you went from the big, beefy, we're just big and going to overpower you, and teams started beating us with quickness – And then you have those guys who are explosive and big Like you know, we play LSU and you got Glenn Dorsey and you got Jackson, you got all these guys that are just mammoths. So those are the type of things that I think changed our thinking. And when urban got here, he saw that and said, we got to change the body types up front. We'll get the skill. And I think right now this team is fine when it comes to all of that. Um, I, I honestly think that you just ran into a perfect scenario um with Alabama and, and look sometimes it happens like that where games just get out of control but I don't think I don't think the two are are comparable I really don't I think that this team is a lot better off to have a nice rebound than we were in 06.
0: Yeah gotcha man hey you just real quick I'm gonna hit some real quickies with you because you know time is limited etc uh in this day and age uh what was different that you could put your finger on about the play of the Ohio state linebackers <clears throat> the last two seasons compared to 2018, uh, that you could, you know, define for people out there who maybe, uh, don't understand how maybe a coaching change, a change in philosophy can like put people in the right places at the right times. If you follow, if you follow my drift there. Yeah. I think, I think, you
2: know, what Greg tried to do a lot, Shiano was just the fact that he, he wanted to do. So there's two philosophies, right? Like, there's a philosophy of we have so much talent, we can do a lot of different things and we can show and disguise and we can really overwhelm people. And sometimes that stuff works. You know, when you mug the line of scrimmage, you, you overwhelm protections and you get really good matchups and you win because of those. And you play man on the back end and say, try to beat us. Right. You can do that. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that hit Ohio State at that time was stuff on the ground. Because when you're mugged up like that, you have no opportunity to read the play that's happening. And when you try to do so much different blitz stuff, there's only so much stuff of, of reps and practice that you can utilize. So, if the other thinking and what Coach Halfley and what Greg Madison had brought here and now Coach Combs and, and you know, are, are kind of taking forward and what Coach Day likes is let's pare it all down because we have superb talent and let's make sure our guys really know what they're doing. And then let's play fast. Let's utilize our speed. So when you have limited reps and this is what the Seahawks did, you know, back with the Legion of boom, they said, we're going to play single high three or man. We're going to know every single team's answer when we watch film to what they want to do against similar defenses, single high man beaters, and three high single high zone beaters. And then let's play those plays because that's what they're going to run against us. And let's be really good at it and just know exactly where we need to be on every route concept and those are, so, those are two different thoughts. Both yeah. work. I mean, if you watch the game yesterday, right, you can – Steve Spagnola is not that way. Steve Spagnola I played for, he's going to have four calls in one defense. He's going to call Oki Sniper Wild Tahoe, and you're going to be like, wait, what? What? It's all dependent on where the back is, what blitz, whether it's coverage, the formation, it can change on motion. But he's beating Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl because he's confused them with changing pressures and all that where there's also been the Seahawks who, like I said, have won by just saying, hey, we're going to play three, try to beat us. We know you're going to try to run against us. We're just better. So yeah. I think what you've seen over the last two years at LB is you've seen linebackers who are playing more confident just because they know where to align. And then once you know what your assignment is and you're aligned, you're not thinking, okay, hold on. Am I supposed to be in the A gap or the B gap here? I said, hut, and now you're running. When you know, I know where I'm supposed to be at. Now what are they in? Oh, now I can anticipate these three plays and then you go and you're allowed to play faster. And I think that's what you've seen over the last couple of years.
0: You know, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, it was stark. It was a stark difference, in my opinion. It was it was one of those situations in 18 where I just saw Ohio State line up unsound on occasion or just haven't. Oh, yeah. no, It should never that should never happen. When you have a as much talent as Ohio State has, you know, uh, unsound should never be in the uh, should never be in the conversation. And uh, but you're right. I mean, and then people start running to the fire, and then it really gets you in trouble. You know, wait till the fire comes to you. Hey, um, I don't know. uh, I wanted to ask you uh, as you went around the Big Ten, because man, by the way, uh, you are retired, right? I am. But you're not retired, right? I mean. The, I'm like you, you. I retire like you. Yeah, you
2: retire too.
0: thank you very much. I'm a, I'm a trendsetter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a fashion, fashion plate and trendsetter. Uh, during the football season, correct me if I'm wrong. You were doing Bo Bishop. You and Bo were doing your show every day, yep. and you were doing a Big Ten game on Saturday, and then you were uh, sideline. Was a sideline reporter. How would you describe it? Uh, the uh, in the NFL. Uh, I mean. Were you actually at the games? I mean, how did that work this year? Well, so last year
2: I was at the games, obviously. This year I actually had they, – they got – Westwood One got rid of the sideline reporter. All NFL guidelines did that. So I was actually color analyst for a couple games this year in the booth, yeah. um, which, is, which is fun. It's different – so different doing it on radio versus TV um, and kind of what you're trying to communicate to the listener, you know, through the different mediums.
0: Yeah, but what I'm getting to here, I mean, see, this isn't like the old days where everybody crowds around the uh, radio at home, you know, like the fireplace yeah. and listen. Yeah. But when I was listening, which is when I'm in my car, I thought you did a hell of an excellent job on those NFL games uh, this year and stuff. But but my point is, explain to people how you go from point A to point B to point C back to point A uh, in a weekend and stuff. And when, do you, when when did you get your rest, I guess, during those times?
2: <laughs> oh man yeah it, it's it's a lot you know but my hardest year tim to be honest was um a couple of years ago now you know this year is actually easier if you will now some of the games were difficult i had a flight delay you know like a 14 hour flight delay where i ended up just driving home from newark um because of the pandemic i decided yeah. to drive to college park instead of fly which was interesting going through west virginia and maryland and all that um but for yeah, me right, it's, but it's
0: beautiful but it's a beautiful, beautiful drive it's a beautiful, beautiful drive. drive
2: yeah almost ran out of gas in the middle of nowhere in west virginia i think it was actually friendsville yeah. or friendstown west virginia or maryland something like that anyway right near the border i made it i coasted down the mountain uh, made it with like six miles to empty but anyway i i when i a couple of years ago i was doing studio too so i used to leave on a thursday back when we were doing coaches' meetings live on a Friday. So I would take this big, giant Comrex box, you know, carry the radio unit. i do the show from Friday morning because can't miss football Friday. i go right right from that over to meeting with the home coaching staff, do the game Saturday. And if it was in a city I could fly home from, uh, like Newark, you you can get back to Columbus or uh, even College Park you can because of Baltimore and Southwest. I would fly home Saturday night spend all day Sunday until about 9 p.m., fly to Chicago Sunday night, do two shows, Buckeye Weekly on Monday. Well, hold on. I would do the radio show for Reaction Monday from Chicago. Then I would do Buckeye Weekly. Then I would do BTN Live. And then right after BTN Live, in my suit, I would get in the Uber to O'Hare and fly home and then do radio, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then back out again. And I remember my wife being like, yeah. I feel like you got to choose studio or, or games. And I ended up choosing games. Um, I just, I like being at the the stadium and, um, I like meeting with the coaches when we are allowed to and being on the field and all that and getting to see the different big 10 campuses has been cool.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
2: but it's, it, it keeps you in it there. It was always between media and coaching for me. Um, and in my mind, I still, there's times where I go back and forth. Cause you miss the locker room. You miss being a part of something really bigger than yourself. Um, but there's also, you know, your family at home. And now we just added a third and she's a week old now today. Oh, so yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's fun though. To kind of go around, man, it is, it's fun to you know follow these games and, and, uh, to talk about the sport you love and really do it in a challenging fashion. You know, you, I can't like on a medium like this, we can talk scheme and we can talk three technique and nose and cause you understand it. But when you're on television, you're not only speaking. I tell people it's like, I have to speak to my wife's mom, like my mother-in-law. I can't speak or my, my sister-in-law. I can't yeah. speak to my wife. My wife will understand if I say, Hey, the three and the five did a stunt and cover up the A and B gap. She knows what I'm talking about. She goes, Oh, the ball's going outside. Yeah. I, she knows that from, from being my wife. But yeah. if I say that on air, if I say, Oh, they just ran a stunt. You have to actually explain what the hell is a stunt because some people listening have no idea what you're talking about. So you have to really, and that's why Herb Street's the best, right? He can take it and dumb it down to where guys who played respect him because of how much he knows, but also people have no idea respect him because he, it's in a language understandable to them as well.
0: Yeah. 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 The, the you know, the, I remember a question I got one time, uh, I was watching with, uh, I'm not going to name names, but, uh, watching a game and, and the one of the people in the room says, "Why are their pants so tight?" You know, I mean, you know, that's what <laughs> you know, things like that. That's that's what you're talking about. You're, no you're trying to hit that bullseye, you know, in between and stuff. Hey, by the way, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, what what do you remember being significant about March 23rd, uh, 2013? What do you remember being significant about that March 23rd? I think that's maybe I've got the wrong date for you, but. Uh, That was my my wedding
2: wedding day. It was March 23rd. So, I mean,
0: that's what I'm saying. That's my, that was my 59th birthday is what I was going to tell you. It was significant. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, just uh, remember, uh, every time you're buying your wife, roses now March 23rd. It's also Tim May's birthday and Kyrie Irving's birthday. Okay.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I was making sure it's funny is that me and me and my teammate, and this is, it's funny is that he's a really good friend of mine. And we were on the same team together, but Robert Quinn got married the same day. And we're teammates and we didn't know that we had planned that day together. And so I'll never forget, wow. like, we both invited Chris Long and Chris was like torn. I'm like, what wedding do I go to? And I told him, I said, hey, bro, you're not going to offend me. Rob's was a destination wedding, like in the Bahamas. Mine was in Columbus, bro. Go to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> Don't come to yeah. Columbus in March. Yeah. Go there. Send me a nice gift. Enjoy yourself.
0: Yeah, my wife and I—we sneaked off during the uh, football strike and the NFL strike, because I was covering the NFL back then in '82 when we got married, and uh, uh, we got married at over near her, near where she grew up in the Boston area and stuff, and uh, Sudbury, Massachusetts, as a matter of fact. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I didn't invite people because I didn't want them to have to go 800 miles, you know. And uh, yeah, uh, who knows, you know, my wife might have said no at the very end, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I'm still stunned. I'm still stunned by that great, the greatest victory of my life. There, <laughs> hey. I'm going to hit a couple other things because you've been on the Tim May podcast. Of all the awards you won in college, what was the one that you just, if you had to be introduced as one award winner, what award would that be? Would it be the Butkus? Mm. Would it be the, what was it, the Bedneric?
2: What would it be? That's a really, I actually never won the Bedneric. I
0: won the, so I won not the Bronco Yeah, um, I get those two mixed up.
2: <laughs> I always say I lost the Bedneric three times in a row. So that's not, um, yeah, it was a, that's but, true. I, you know, I, I, I love, I do love the buckets, Um just because it's I me, mean, it's Dick Buckus, And yeah, to think that in our great history of Ohio state linebackers, I think that AJ got robbed of it in 05. Um, there's been others who have gotten overlooked for it. Of course, yeah. you can't, you can't go through the history of our guys and think that they, we don't have more buckets or winners and, as you know, there's some political stuff in play with it. Timing has to be right. There's a little bit of luck that comes along with it. It's an honor to be recognized. I remember in 06, when I was up for it, I was almost more shocked than winning it in 07. Like in 06, I was up for it. I remember being in, in Orlando and being like, holy crap, I'm with Puzlusny and Patrick Willis. Like, what the heck? Yeah. You know, and you're kind yeah. of like, cool. I guess I'm here with these guys. Um, so it's. I think the buck is to me, really stands out. Although I do love the Ronnie, I do love the Lott Trophy, although it's relatively new. I just, I love the fact that it's called the Impact Trophy because it's more than just your play. Your play gets you, of course, but it's it's also academics. It's your integrity. There's there's other things to it. And they do a phenomenal job out in California when they host you. Um, yeah. And it's a cool deal to the point where like still today, if I if I Twitter message Ronnie Lott, he'll respond to me instantly. Um, and it's just, wow. it's crazy wow. to think of like, my goodness, like that's, you know, that's Ronnie Lot. Like you grew up watching that cat Um, and just it's a really special award as well.
0: Yeah, anything in Newport Beach has got to be fun, you know. I, oh, I especially me- when you
2: go there. And they do it a little later. So like they usually host it a yeah. little later. So you're like, you've you've done your whole overwhelming tour to Florida. And now you're like, hold on, I get to go to California. Awesome. And college, yeah. like perfect. Get me out of Ohio for a little bit. It'd be great.
0: I was gonna say, uh, there was this uh, race car driver named Max Peppis. He's still alive. I mean, I don't mean like he's passed away, but uh, he drove for the Ray Hall Letterman team for a while. And uh, I'm doing a story with him one time, and and uh, he moved from uh, moved from. He's from Italy. Obviously, Maximiliano Pappis. Peppis, and uh, and he moved from Italy, and he and he moved to Newport Beach. And I said, uh, Max, I so said, why did you move to Newport Beach? He goes, Well, I wanted to experience America like Americans. And I go, Newport Beach, man. I'm not sure that's exactly America. He goes, he <laughs> understand? In Italy, our idea of our idea of America is Baywatch. <laughs> oh man! I go, man. yeah, man. If you got the money, honey, you know. But no, anyway, God. hey,
2: if you got money, California's great. Miami's great. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, look. But if if you want if you want some of the uh, finer parts of America, and I've driven this drive a lot, you just go from Columbus to St. Louis and stay on Highway 70 for a while. You'll, you'll enjoy some different – that's a different pat, uh, aspect of America as you go through Turahot and Effingham and all of those cities.
0: Oh, yeah, Effingham. Yeah, that's where I made my left turn because I drove back and forth to, to see my mom. Uh, she was had some challenges. She finally passed away in June of this past year. But uh, drove back and forth because I, I like to drive a lot and uh, went through Effingham at least because I always make that left-hand turn yep. out of what, 57 there. 57. You know? yep. And yeah. Yeah and uh, drove through there. I mean, I can tell you every pilot flying J-truck stop between <laughs> here and <laughs> Little Rock. Right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, listen, real, real quickie, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you this because you have an insight of this m- maybe better than anybody. Uh, you know, these guys that have left early for the NFL from Ohio State, some guys have come back and stuff. But, and Orlando Pace and I talked about this when he was on my podcast a few weeks ago. A lot of times you don't realize how much – fun it is in college to get to the NFL and it is a business, you know, every yeah. year, no matter what draft pick you are, you know, just look at Dwayne Haskins, Jr. You're, you have to fight for your job, et cetera. And you are every a commodity day. to a certain extent, but, uh, what was it like going from Ohio state where like I said, you played for two national championships in four years, you know, and really we're in contention even at last year, you know, uh, uh, and in 2005, that talented team, et cetera, but to go to a place where, you're not challenging for a championship. How much of a climate change is that uh, just in the locker room, Jane, for these guys who are going for the NFL dollars now? Well, that, was really,
2: that was a really nice way of putting it by saying not challenging. Uh, yeah. You could have said, yeah. well, two and 14, one and 15 in a seven and nine year. Um, seriously, seriously. For, yeah, it, it is the biggest difference is that you realize, for one, you realize the business right away um, that you're not on scholarship, that this is a job. Um, all those hours you got to go, you know, have off and do class and like, that's, and you're football now. Uh, so if you love it, it's great. Like if you don't love it, you're, it could be stressful. And look, people are really good at, this is what I learned too, Tim. People are really good at football and like, you know, you've ever meet somebody who's like, oh yeah, I do investments, but I really, I don't love it, but I make a good living. And you're like, oh, well, I don't know how you do that. Well, it's to pay. There are guys that treat football that way who are like, they're just so talented and athletic and gifted that they do the yep. littlest yep. amount possible. And next thing you know, they're still making 10 mil a year. And you're like, you don't yep. love this? No, actually, I don't, not at all. And you're like, how are you anyway? It blows my mind because to me, it's like I put everything into it and I was limited. Yeah. So I'm like, give me some of your skill. But anyway, it it it's humbling. Um, and you realize real quick that not only you know the business side of it, but the turnover is so real. Like you'll meet somebody that you think is a really good player and you're like, Oh, he's definitely one of our best, you know, top six, you know, D lineman that we could use in a rotation. And then he's cut. And you're like, well, why? Well, technically we need a little money here and there. And you're like, Oh my gosh. So it's not even in college. You're like, you recruit the very best, you know, you're bringing the best of everybody possible and made the best win. And it's deeper than that because of the dollar signs. And yeah, that was a change going to St. Louis, which was a, baseball first city was a change um if you went to any restaurant they could recognize the entire st louis cardinals team but it was the first time really in in four years that i could go out to eat and not get recognized by somebody nobody knew me it was amazing like i couldn't go back to columbus and go out to eat without getting interrupted but i could go to anywhere in st louis and there was no one that would come up um and that really lasted that way for tim i could probably count on two hands the amount of times i was recognized in st louis ever um which was kind of nice but also you know but way different from obviously the attention you get in Columbus but it's just it, it, every day the best advice I ever got was every day is an interview um, and you're either interviewing poorly or you're interviewing you know well and yeah. you have to treat it that way and especially now with with the way the rookie scale is different and if you are interviewing poorly sooner or later teams are just going to say bye there's it's hard. You can't. And, and when you get fired, you can't, you're going to take it personally because you've never been fired before. This is a for like everyone says, well, you don't take it personally. It's business. Well, no, it, it's, it is personal. I put so much blood, yeah. sweat and tears into this. When I got called in Jeff Fisher's office and they fire you and they say, Hey, they didn't even say, Hey, will you take a pay cut? They just said, we want to move on without you. And you're like, I, yeah. uh, everything I've given to you the last seven years, you won't even, uh, there's so much that goes into it. Um, but as you look back and you actually see it from kind of 30,000 feet and you're, you're observing the NFL. Now you say, oh, I get it. I get why they did. And I understand, I don't have to agree with it or love it, but you can understand it. And you kind of move on, but every day is an interview. So these kids going to the league, it's just treat every day by every person in the organization that you meet, whether you think it's just some low level scout that you could care less about. Cause guess what? A couple of these low level scouts that, were in the Rams organization are now general manager and assistant general manager, like my man, Ray Agnew, assistant GM in Detroit. You know, he's in a scouting position in St. Louis, but if you just treat, it's like being at Ohio state, if you treat everyone with respect, and you're not a jerk, Columbus will take care of you. Mostly. Yeah. It's the same thing in the NFL. If you're just not a jerk to people and you treat people graciously when they elevate, they remember you and you never know what kind of doors it opens up.
0: Yeah. I was going to say though, you know, but, Obi Stilwell, you know, got played Ohio played walking at Ohio State a long time ago, but he made a good comment to me one time. He goes, Football is that one sport more than maybe any other, where somebody else tells you you're done. You know? I mean, in other words, there's there's no, you know, there, there because when you quit, when you're when you're cut from the NFL, you don't go and play, you know. Well, if you're an idiot, you do, but you don't go and play. It's on some walk-on team, some you know what I mean? It's like right. what you have worked you like you just said, what you busted your butt for your entire life is now over and stuff. And and uh real quick before I go, I just wanted to, you know, you had a what you had a bad quadriceps uh, um, injury or something. I'm trying to remember when you ended up at New Orleans, uh that did, did that help hasten you out of the league and did were you already planning for that next step in your in your life?
2: So it's funny, I I I was my, my right knee had started to kind of, I started getting some arthritic stuff in it, right. It's called a little cartilage gap behind my kneecap back in like 2015. And so you start the process of injecting it with stuff like Sinvisc and other, you know, fluids to try to oil that thing up. I call it WD 40 for the joints. And there was a time in 2016, we played like a Thursday night game and we played a Sunday. I drained the knee. I shot it up with Sinvisc. And then I had to drain it again on a Thursday and then reshoot it up, and you're like, you're going through this, and you're like, I don't, and that's two years after I had my first daughter, and so you really start thinking about when I first had my kids, when I had London, the first time I started thinking about life after football, and and walking your girl down the aisle, being all there mentally, I never thought about injury at all until I had London, and so as your body starts getting a certain way, it starts getting painful to work out, which I loved working out, I loved squat day, I loved legs, um, I loved hang clean. Well, all that stuff hurts once you get a cartilage
0: issue.
2: All that stuff hurts a lot. So when people are
0: sticking needles in your knee, uh, yeah, go ahead now.
2: (laughs) So you know you're you're hurting, and um, so I get to New Orleans and I signed a three year deal, thinking that I could I could squeeze out three years, and it finally was the comp the overcompensating I had from my. So after my right knee and I had a little, um, my bursa sac, which protects your elbows and your, if you've ever banged your knee and it swells up huge and then goes away in a couple of days, that's your bursa sac protecting it. And, And so mine had been scarred so much through college and the pros that they just took it out. So I don't have one on my right knee anymore. I got that taken out in like 14. So, you know, when you, when that happens and then now your kneecap doesn't have as much mobility. And so now that's where the cartilage in your knee starts to rip. And now you have a gap. Well off of that and the and the overcompensating of that my left ankle ends up getting like a massive spur which needs to get removed and sutured down so now there's an off-season ankle surgery. And then you can't train the same way on your right leg so your left leg's stronger than your right and so that's where the quad strain comes. Is that, you yeah. know, you're running one day, um there was a Friday practice in New Orleans on a Monday night football against the Falcons. I'm running, I strain it. I tell the trainers it hurts a little bit. I try to play. Look terrible playing. Um, end up getting a concussion undocumented concussion. Um, I, I, with, with the help of Mike Mowdy, I passed the test on the sideline. I'll say it that way. Um,
0: okay.
2: Yeah, I got two, uh, two of the three questions right. Um, two fingers.
0: It's two fingers, James. Two yeah, fingers. Yeah,
2: no Go doubt. Um, but I shouldn't have played, but I was fine. I, and then I never played again after that because it was just – once that happened, I had time to finally – for the first time in my career, I never missed a game. It was a pride thing more than anything, Tim. You know, I loved playing. I wanted to be out yeah. there, and I felt like I always helped my team play. But being forced to miss good time helped me to really reflect on the kind of player that I was. And there's like, when you're a competitor, it's my father times undefeated. You think in your head, I can get back to that guy, but your body says, no, the hell you can't. Like you're it's past you, you know? And so I couldn't accept for one, it wasn't enjoyable to even work out anymore or practice because it hurt. And like, do you want to still keep doing this for what to, to chase a piece of jewelry to lift a trophy. To me, it didn't seem was that more important than being as healthy as you could be for your girls growing up. And I just got to a point where I was like, your, your best days are way behind you and it's time to move on and uh, and go home. And that's kind of where I reached my conclusion.
0: Hey, real quick though, you just brought mean, I know you gotta get going, but real quick, I wanted to ask you though, following up on that. I mean, you were in locker rooms, I would think sometimes, like you talked about a while ago, where everybody didn't have the same passion for the sports you had, did you? Did you always feel like the dedication was there of, of the, of the, of the, of the hunt for the goal that y'all were after? You understand what I'm saying? Did you ever feel like you were on teams occasionally where you were almost wasting your time in the hunt uh, for the playoffs and the and and a Super Bowl? I mean, what, you know what I mean? Did how frustrating was that for you?
2: Well it's it's funny there's a lot of guys I played with that could give two craps about practice and they're yeah. like they felt they could go out there they could do everything. It's funny because I'm sure there's a lot of guys in the NFL that are doing this system where they've had to do like practice from home right and mental reps. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple I played with without any names that claim that they could not do one physical rep and still be 100% ready to go for a Sunday where I was the opposite like I needed to go out there. I needed to feel how run fit felt I needed to feel how you want me to play this past concept some guys know there's claim we could do walk through all week and play Sunday and they'd be happy. Um, at the end of the day, everyone in the NFL, Sunday is easy. You're getting paid for the week. You're getting paid for practice. Cause Sunday guys, most guys will go do Sunday for free. Once you yeah. get out there in a normal year and the crowds going and the fireworks and you're like, dude, this is the NFL. There's a certain, that's easy. It's the, I feel like a turd on Wednesday, you know, we're three and you know, seven or we're one in seven. And you can tell me I'm getting paid this, but my body hurts. It's gray outside like it is today. I'm yeah. sore. You know, I can't warm up. I got, you know, and you're doing the same routine of I'm in the hot tub. I got a heat pack. I got icy hot on my quad. I'm trying to get it warm. And then you're like, okay, I finally feel okay. And then I'm running and someone stepped on your big toe. And so now your cold big toe hurts and you just want to chuck something. <laughs> like it's sometimes you have those days where you're like, why am I out here? Um, yeah. But to get better. I had some, I had really great teammates and um, saw a lot, or some of them that I tell you that don't love the game are still playing. And they're like in year nine and 10. I mean, it's a long time to do something and make a lot of money when you really don't care that much about it. But uh, yeah. And the, and the frustrating thing is that there's some guys, Tim, that if they did care, they could be hall of famers, but there's yeah. something in them that just has no ambition to be a hall of famer to them. It's like, I'm going to do what I'm good at athletically to provide for my family. And then once I can't anymore, or they fire me, I'll, I'll go retire.
0: Yeah. I just remember we had this pickup football team. We'd play all the time in Texas. You know, back when I was a high teen, you know, out of high school, I was, I was playing, you know, working the Lufkin news and stuff, but we played every weekend. We tried to get up a a game with people just, you know, basically flag. And, and there was just one guy, he was just great, but I would throw him passes. I was always the quarterback because I couldn't run but I could throw a little, you know, and, uh, and he would, occasionally catch passes behind his back and stuff, which drove me crazy. But <laughs> we were so much better with him than without him. You know what I mean? Oh, just, yeah. Those are the kind of guys you just want to go punch and also grab and hug at the same time. I know. Hey, last thing I'm out of here. Uh, you've been around the Big Ten a lot now and stuff. What is the biggest, if you could put it into words, that you, you and Bo talk about this stuff all the time, what is the biggest difference between an Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten right now, besides the talent stockpile, if you had to put your finger on it, why will this why will this keep going? You think this Ohio State run?
2: Oh man! Well, I think for one, Ohio State can go anywhere in the country and recruit. Um, that's where it all starts. I'm not telling you anything new. It's recruiting, yeah. but it's also the development. And so they're, they're in lockstep and it's been the smooth transition from, so urban had his guys of, you know, stamp, volt, uh, Mick, uh, Mark, all these guys in cohesion, they knew what players they wanted to recruit. It's not just recruiting stars. I think there's a misconception that urban used to just go after every five star. No, like they looked at a quarterback, like Hunter Johnson and said, no, he's not, he's not it. And so when you're able to look at a five star and say no in person, you have a really good eye for talent evaluation. And then Nick just develops the crap out of them from people I've talked to up North. They there's, the recruiting is not cohesive like that. It's kind of just scattered go. And you kind of have guys that have their little niche and there's no cohesion. Now, I think the best hire that Harbaugh could have done was bring Mike Hart home because you're going to bring one hell of a competitor that will hopefully interject some juice to, at least the offense on what it means to play us and really get some fire and spunk back. Agreed. Because um, he's a hell of a competitor. Ton of respect for Mike. And the thing is, though, is like it's the quarterback and it's the development of the quarterback. So when is Penn State going to get a guy and then develop a guy or Michigan? I mean, Michigan's best quarterback is still Henny and nobody even knew he's in the league until Mahomes, you know, until the exactly. game. So you're, you're looking around, the league's in a weird spot because even next year, the second best team is Indiana again.
0: Yeah, James is one of my favorite people, and now uh, folks know why if they've never heard him before, but I don't know how you've never heard him before, right? Awesome. He's on uh, a 97.1 The Fan with our good buddy Bo Bishop every day of the week. He, he does color analysis for the Big Ten Network on games, uh, even does some NFL work from now, now and again on radio, and uh, oh, one of those great gentlemen out there, right? He's proven to be, I think, just as good in the media uh,
1: as he was on the field. And that that's obviously saying a whole lot, um, but he works, he works at it, which is the key. Uh, he understands that it, it doesn't just get to float by on his reputation. Um, you know, he, he, he's very good at it. I mean, he and Bo, you know, they have us on graciously throughout the year um, yeah. Mondays and Fridays to get that Letterman row connection. But um, you know, that's, to talk for three hours about stuff that doesn't just involve college football is difficult as well. He's gotten yeah. very good at all that. So, always appreciate James's take. He's He works hard at it, and you know
0: that he he's not just spouting off
1: things for attention.
0: Yeah, he's not only been in the arena, too, he's been a gladiator. He was a gladiator in the arena, which is, uh, wow, saying a lot, man. There's yeah. a guy that loved the game, loved preparing for the game, and now he loves – you know, he just took that uh, work initiative right into his uh, – newfound profession of being a commentator. So, yep. no surprise that he's successful. You know, one thing we touch, touched on, and I'm, I wanted to move on with you about, it, is, like, you know, uh, yes, Ohio State got beat this in this past national championship game, much like Ohio State got beat in 2006 by Florida in that national championship game. And uh, that team bounced back, played again for the national championship, didn't win. You know, that, just because you put in more effort and stuff doesn't mean you're still not going to meet a better team, you know. That's yeah. just the way sports are. But uh, you know, my my take on the Alabama team that Ohio State got beat by this this year was, if you're Ohio State, you always strive to be the best program out there, deepest, et cetera. But you know, you can wear yourself out chasing the tail that was that Alabama team. Uh, like I like I told James, I've told you many times. That's the best offense I've ever seen from Alabama. I think it could, you could argue it the best offense in college football history if they'd gotten to play a real full season. They almost did anyway. It's right there, in my opinion, with LSU from a year ago. But, uh, you know, the, Alabama's not going to be the same offense next year, this coming season, as it was this past season. But I think Ohio State, when you look at what made Alabama great, was the guys that returned to that offense. Now you look at Ohio State with uh, uh, Chris Olave coming back, with uh, uh, Jeremy Ruckert coming back, with the two tackles coming back, and uh, with, I think, a a really, yes, so Trey Sermon has moved on, but Ohio State's going to have a fleet of running backs. They've got those wide receivers, those freshman wide receivers who are going to be stepping up into a bigger role this coming season. Mm -hmm. And then if C.J. Stroud uh, or Jack Miller, the third or Whomever ends up being the quarterback is as good as we think they can be. As good as Josh Meyer said on my podcast last week, he thinks they can be. He thinks this is Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow all over again, a big-time competition in the spring to find out who the number one quarterback is. Yeah. Uh, this, this this, could be that offense that everybody's talking about in 2021 is maybe the best offense in college football.
1: Yeah, I think they got the the pieces back that they needed. You know, you could afford – for Trey Sermon not to use that bonus year of eligibility because of what you had coming in with those two signees, with Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor, uh, and then potentially a, mar- a you know a healthy Marcus Crowley, Mayan Williams, what he did at the end of that year. And still, I mean, I think it will come from those four, the, the primary guy, but that's not to rule out Master Teague. He's obviously a veteran guy. He's going to have every chance to, to keep that role moving forward. I, you know, we can have that conversation throughout the year, but yeah, look at what you have on the offensive line with Jeremy Ruckert returning, the the elevation potentially from Cade Stover, you know, Chris Olave leading that unit, which has, you know, just recruited better than anyone else in the country, a wide receiver (laughs) under Brian Hartline. All those things I'm I'm saying is that I don't – I didn't view Mac Jones as like Joe Burrow or some superstar quarterback. He was very good. He was sort of the evolutionary Nick Saban game manager. Like he was obviously better than Greg McElroy. Uh, you know he he can do more things, but he's not, I think, someone who you build an NFL team around like you maybe would Joe Burrow um, or Dwayne Haskins, even though it didn't work out in Washington. So Ohio State doesn't need C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller to be Justin Fields or win the Heisman, although they could, and that would elevate them into a, a stratosphere. But Ohio State's going to be really productive on offense no matter what, and. Obviously, Ryan Day's got to get that, that pick right at quarterback, and we're probably going to talk about it for the next eight months. But yeah, they got back everybody that they could have needed, that their Munford deal. I mean, how, how, how significant is that for the offensive line? A, a, a surprise they got. And, and Rucker could have gone. Olave could have gone. Both of those guys would have been drafted early, in my opinion, maybe more so Olave than Rucker. Uh, but, I mean, you get NFL caliber players back, that's exactly how Alabama built that Death Star that they were last year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, guys who have been there and done it at the highest level, you know, uh, they they can just take you places you sometimes you can't believe, and they bring guys along with them. And uh, and like, no, you know, even Ryan Day pointed out uh, in the teleconference we had with him last week, you know, uh, having a Chris Olave just back in the room, you know, the wide receiver room and back in the team room is huge from a leadership standpoint, a guy that has shown – not only he's a great receiver, but the willingness to play special teams, etc. And, and it's it's not whether he's a standout on special teams, although he is. But it's the point is he's unselfish. You know that's the that's the big difference between uh, you know is it's James Laurinaitis I talked about. You know the difference between the camaraderie and the uh, the uh, spirit of core of a college team compared to an NFL team is sometimes night and day. You know when you're getting paid, and are guys sometimes maybe not even practicing as hard as they can, uh, maybe not even becoming as good as they can be, but they're still really great. They can get by on Sundays, you know, but uh, they're not putting in that, that big-time team effort kind of a, a approach. It, yeah. it can affect your team, whereas in college football, the elite programs have that. Ohio State clearly has that. And uh, the way they got through the COVID-19, the pandemic challenge was amazing to me when you look back on it now. And like, like Josh Meyer said on last week's podcast, you know, In some respects, it's hard to believe it's now over, you know. As much of a grind as it was, as much of a mental and physical grind it was, well, the guys coming back now, they've been through that. They've known what it's like to, like, be one and one – all for one and one for all and every other cliche you can throw in there. And now it's, you know, as soon as everybody's vaccinated, you know, in Ohio it seems to be the slowest state in the country to get people vaccinated. I'm 66, and I still – I'm still not in line yet, which is kind of – rubbing me the wrong way, but that's another story for another day. Uh, But as soon as you get back to some sort of normalcy, I expect this program to take another leap. I don't know if you agree or not. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, part of the reason why
1: um, Chris Olave is coming back for another year is that, um, you know, people wondered why, because there were mock drafts that had him in the first round. Uh, What you have left to prove at Ohio state got, got the Clemson redemption and all that. I mean, it it would be too easy to say he wants to win a national title and knowing Chris Olave, just, you know, the little bit that I do, I don't think that that is what is really fueling him. He, he's wired differently for sure, but what you have to remember the kind of room and culture that he came into when he was a freshman and the expectation was from these three guys who we've talked about a lot on your podcast. Some of them have been on the podcast. What Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, and Johnny Dixon did to You know They all had decisions of varying degrees, whether it was to just keep playing football or Paris Campbell to go pro, and Terry McLaurin could have done that too after four years. Um, Be a senior. Teach the young guys. Do the maximum you can to boost your own draft stock, but also give back at the same time. The next year, they had three guys that are just exactly like that, maybe to a slightly lesser degree in terms of their NFL potential, but Austin Mack, K.J. Hill, and Benjamin Victor. Be a senior. Teach the guys. Go through it. You're going to have your most productive year. Compete for championships. So last year was a little bit of an anomaly with Ohio State leaning so heavily on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and not playing six guys. And I think that there's a part of this, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to put words in Chris Olave's mouth because he has his own motivations, but I think he wants to leave that senior legacy for four years. I think he wants to, people were worried about the freshman transferring out. I think he wants to help Julian Fleming. Help G. Scott, you know, yeah. help, uh, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba become the kind of guys. And, you know, I think he wants to be part of that in another six-man unit and then go on when you've exhausted everything you can give. And that's, yeah. again, part of what you're talking about with the whole program.
0: Yeah, man, I like those three guys you just named. though. I mean, I think those three guys are going to be their own three uh, amigos, is, uh, you know, and graduados. We'll see if they become the three graduados again. But uh, <laughs> Excuse me, trace graduados. But, uh, and then Emika Ibuka, like you were just talking about coming in, I mean, you know, they're, they're uh, it's just amazing. The parade. <laughs> the, be cool. say, yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool just to watch the parade of guys going into the wide receiver room every day, you know, and, uh, and, um, uh, and then sending out, sending out the lesser programs around the country and have them drool over it. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, you get when you, like I said, when you get lightning, you know, in a bottle, then you can spring it on people. And that's, that's what Ohio state's getting. Uh, you know, one quick before we move on, I, I promised people on Twitter the other night I was going to tell a quick little uh, Hank Aaron anecdote. Hank Aaron, in my opinion, in my opinion, the true all-time home run leader who passed away over the weekend. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, defensively, as you look at this, because we got, we're going to have plenty of podcasts to talk about things and break things down. But what is what is that one spot that you think they they clearly need to <clears throat> to address in offseason and spring? To bring along quickly to make to get this defense back up to snuff from the standpoint of the passing game defense.
1: Yeah, I think that. I mean, you can't number one twenty two would be hard for Ohio State to be worse nationally than what they were. Um, I I actually have confidence that that's going to get fixed with the amount of talent that they've recruited in the secondary. Um, You know, give Kerry Combs a full spring. Hopefully, it'll be normal. Um, You know, we don't know for sure that that will be the case, even though. Ohio State's planning for that and, and testing, yeah. you know, you get to that bridge in March um, in that situation. But if you get a more normal year, off-season development, co- you know, coaching, implementing maybe some new looks, um, you know, I have – I just think that they're going to be okay there. Uh, a healthy Cameron Brown and seven banks, that's a pretty good pretty good way to start a cornerback in my opinion. Uh, Marcus Williamson could do whatever you want, but maybe now he's allowed to go back into the slot. You bring along legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts. I think those are two really talented young cornerbacks. Uh, and then, obviously, at safety, now Josh Proctor's got experience. Maybe, maybe, maybe Lathan Ransom's rise allows him, yeah. allows him to move all around some. You know, we'll see. I think they have the pieces there. So, when I look at this this spring or this year, I think it's possible that Ohio State needs to get a veteran, experienced linebacker to help, which is not, to take nothing away from Dallas Gann or Taraja Mitchell, Kayvon Pope, some of these younger guys that they've recruited. But, you know, there's because they had those four guys who were so good for so long, there's a little bit of a lack of of actual game experience for them. And if that's available, whether that's from Tennessee or USC, you know, I don't know how that will play out. But I I think that, you know, you probably need to add one more experience piece because, you know, it's not going to be solely on the defensive backs to get that job done. It's going to take an all 11 situation. And, you know, I, so, so that's where, to yeah. me, I, I just look at linebacker more for March and April than I, than I actually do in the secondary.
0: Yeah. It's amazing, man. I, I talked to James about that in the interview, like what, what changed between 18 and 19, you know, and things like that. And people can rewind and listen to it, but it is amazing how those guys went from like maligned to, Hey, they're pretty good to, Hey, they're really good. to now they're gone. And now you're really, <clears throat> everybody who ripped on those guys are going to miss them. You know, not to, no, not the least of whom is uh Justin Hilliard, for example. There were four guys in the final. I mean, it's hard to get four linebackers of that caliber on one team at one time. Uh, you know, it's so that's what I think is gonna be the biggest thing they have to cause those guys helped out as much in pass pro as they did anything else, you know. So it's gonna be interesting to see how it goes. And by the way, you know, like I said, I promised, you know, this little anecdote. It's not as maybe as Deep as some people might think the way I set it up. But uh, I was sad to see the passing of Hank Aaron uh, over the weekend. I got to meet Hank Aaron when I was uh, 10 years old. My dad was, uh, I think it was 9 or 10 years old. We were in Milwaukee on vacation. Well, actually, it was a working vacation. My dad was a plant manager down in Alabama. And Borden Chemical had a plant up in Sheboygan, uh, Wisconsin. And my, but my dad was best friends with Frank Larry, uh, who was the known as the Yankee. Yankee killer back in the 50s when he pitched for the Detroit Tigers. But, you know, back then you pitched whole, you pitched complete games almost every outing. So, eventually your right arm fell off, you know. Then they'd tack it back on and you'd be a player coach or something for a couple of years for you. Anyway, he was with the Milwaukee Braves at that point. And after the game was over, uh, that was our first Major League Baseball game we ever got to see. Uh, my, dad, my dad took me and my older brother Ben into the locker room with Frank Larry and he introduced us. Uh, to players, you know, around, and he introduced this guy named Hank Aaron. You know, he said uh, this guy's gonna be good. I'm telling you, you know, we just kind of went, we didn't know who he was, you know. Of course, that was back, uh, back when you had Chief Nakahoma in the left uh, left field. It was a total different time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, well, Eddie Matthews, by the way, the third baseman, I got to meet him. I used his bat in little league, Eddie Matthews model. So that was cool. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> I didn't see Hank Aaron again until uh, right after he retired, he was a, um, an official with the, with the Braves organization, and, uh, he came to Columbus one time when the Richmond Braves were playing at the, uh, Columbus Clippers back in the old Cooper Stadium, and they sent me out there just to do a story on it, and, uh, he was in town also promoting something else like, you know, Zenith TVs or something like that, you know, so, uh, I went there and introduced myself, I told him about meeting him when I was like nine or ten years old, and he left, of course, he didn't remember me from Adam. but we started talking, one of the more congenial men I've ever run into, big-time star. Well, before I went out to the ballpark, there was a guy, I won't say his last name, but his first name was Tom. He worked at the Columbus Dispatch with us. And he begged me to get Hank Aaron's autograph for his son, who was a huge fan of Hank Aaron. And uh, I said, man, I don't do that. I've never gotten autographs. Uh, and he goes, well, you got to get his autograph for me. I mean, long story short, I said, I finally agreed. Okay, I'll get his autograph. So we're sitting there and I'm interviewing Hank Aaron. Next thing you know, me and Hank are on first name basis. He's calling me Tim. I'm calling him Hank. We're both from Alabama. Not exactly the same backgrounds in Alabama, but we're both from Alabama. And uh, we're having fun talking about that. And I said, finally, at the end, I said, Hank, I said, I've never done this before. I said, I don't believe in these things, but a lot of people do. I said, I got a good buddy. And uh, uh, he, his son, and by the way, I wasn't real. I was close to this guy, but I wasn't close to his family. I didn't know his family that well. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, his son would like would like to get your autograph. I said, could you do that for me? He goes, Oh, absolutely, Tim. He goes, he goes, What's his name? I said, uh, Tom Jr. And he says, To Tom Jr., keep hitting the home runs. Hank Aaron, 44. And he circled the 44. And I went, That's great. So I felt, you know, pretty good. I went back and I handed the autograph to uh my friend Tom. And he said, Tim, this is great. He goes, but my son's name is Pat. <laughs> and I said, see, that's why I don't ask for autographs. Right. <laughs> but anyway, Hank Aaron couldn't have been a nicer dude. And may rest in peace. Uh, he was trying to be an example for people taking that COVID-19 vaccine, vaccination. And, uh, you know, I don't know what all went wrong. You know, when you get to be Older in life, there are all kinds of things that can catch up with you all at once. But uh, Hank Aaron, rest in peace, my man. Uh, one of the great uh, sports stars of all time. Hey, anything else you want to add, awesome? Before we call it a day,
1: we got a long offseason, buddy. Let's we we can save it up. You know, James. Uh, if people made it this far, uh, they should probably just rewind and listen to James Laurinaitis instead of me again. Anyway.
0: Yeah, by the way, I've got a story coming later in the week. I want to point out how Ohio State's approaching this quarterback battle. You know, you guys have touched on it. You know, you regular guys, LettermanRow.com, have touched on it quite a bit too. But I want to show how things are evolving in the spring practice approach to things. Because you know what? Every rep is valuable. And the more valuable you can make that rep, the better you are. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a little story at the end of the week about that, about how Ryan Day, man, they're staying on the cutting edge of things when it comes to preparation and also getting a team ready because they lost a whole spring ball of last year, which they're trying to make up for. They're going to be trying to make up for uh, with a, kind of a novel approach, in my opinion. But until then, for Awesome Ward, this is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you next week.